0: Good morning. Good morning. Uh, John Schreiber here. I'm your MC today for Ask the Experts. Dr. Salazar is taking some much needed time away. So uh, welcome. Uh, it's great to see everyone here today. Um, we have a lot to cover. There's a lot going on for COVID. Now today we're going to spend the whole session. I'll do my talk and then we're going to open up for an extended Q&A and I have some questions from last week as well. I'll start with those. Also be aware, um, next week, uh, Dr. Salazar will be giving the COVID update um, and uh, with a second speaker and April 2nd, I believe, is a holiday, so we will not have asked the experts then. Welcome. Um, there's a lot going on with COVID. I wish I could say there wasn't, but there is, and I think a number of controversies as well. The pandemic marathon, as I've mentioned before, is the race to vaccinate and it's a worldwide race. It's not just here because the more delay we have in getting less people infected, the more variants are gonna emerge. So it's a problem and it's something we, we really need to address. Now, let's see, I'm having a little trouble advancing today. Um, The United States is exceeding what our expectations were. This is great news. Over the last week, we gave more than 2 million doses a day. It's remarkable. This is good news. So the total people vaccinated who've gotten at least one dose are over 73 million people. And it's about 22% of the population. We're heading to 25% by the end of the week. This is very good news. And remember, it's skewed into high risk, 65 and above. And about 65% of those groups have gotten one dose. Um, And so this is really good news. Um, It's moving, I have to admit, um, beyond my expectations right now. And we've got to keep this momentum. It's really important. Here's what it looks like by state. As I mentioned, the upper Midwest, the Dakotas, I think, were so sobered by the death rate during the last peak. The immunization rates are quite good. Ditto in New Mexico, where there's been a lot of outreach in Alaska. And then New England, uh, led by Connecticut really, has done very well with immunizations, approaching 25% in Connecticut. I'll show you those data in just a second. Now that said, we have a number of states really lagging on the Southeast, Texas and Idaho and Utah. And this is a problem because people travel. And uh, if those states have outbreaks and other states don't, we're gonna continue to introduce variants so unfortunately, a unified model of immunization has not occurred, and it's very patchy across the United States. The timeline for us to reach herd immunity continues to improve. You know, this is really great news. If you look at the current pace, which is, this is actually already out of date. It's now 2 million newly vaccinated. Um, around June, late June, we hit 70% of the um, of the population uh, that's uh, able to be immunized gets immunized. And um, I think this is gonna continue to improve and I'm hoping that President Biden's July 4th target may actually be correct because at this current pace, we're going to achieve it. Very good news, but it's, it's patchy. Some states have a lot of immunization and others don't and we need to really smooth that out as fast as we can. Now, the vaccine honor roll continues to be Samoa, Paloa, which is another protectorate, New Mexico, and then Connecticut's in the top six or seven, but the Dakotas are with us. So over 25% have gotten at least one shot, uh, and uh, uh, about 15 to 16% in Connecticut have gotten two. It's more than that. Um, and so we're, we're getting there. Um, I, I'd love to see this slide when it's 50% have gotten fully vaccinated. It's going to be about a month away for that at our current rate, but we're getting there. Worldwide immunizations, more than 350 million doses. It's not nearly enough worldwide. And there are countries like Brazil with uncontrolled epidemics. This is an enormous problem for the entire world because we still have travel and we have variants emerging in other countries where there's unfettered replication of the virus. It is absolutely in our national interest for us to get vaccines out to these countries as soon as we can. Uh, If they can't afford them, it doesn't matter. Get them the vaccines because we will then tamp down on new variants emerging that spread around the world. But $350 is nothing to be sneezed at, but we need to do much better than that. The United States is in the top 10 immunization rate countries. Uh, Another good news, instead of being the top 10 of death rate, we're doing better now. Um, However, you can look at some countries have done remarkably well. Israel, Seychelles, and the United Arab Emirates um, uh, are 50, 60 percent of the entire population have been vaccinated. It's remarkable. Uh, It's making enormous impact uh, on disease in those countries, the UK, quite along Chile, Iran, and the United States. So, um, however, interestingly, the EU is struggling with their vaccine rates, and um, this is a surprise, but, you know, there's problems with the AstraZeneca vaccine and supply chain, and quite frankly, the United States has soaked up a lot of the worldwide supply of vaccine, so they're struggling. And you can see Austria, Spain, Portugal, Italy, France, Sweden, countries, Germany, countries that you would think would be way ahead of this curve, are struggling to get up even closer to where we are, and, uh, you know, 7-8% have gotten one dose, so this is a problem. And those countries are having a resurgence currently, and that becomes a problem for us because there's travel, and then you can reintroduce a new variants into the United States. So we just have to look at the whole world as a vaccine opportunity, not just America. And, and that's going to be very important moving forward. Now in Connecticut, um, we have significant improvements, but I want to make the, impo- the point that um, We've leveled out. We're, we still have hundreds of cases, new cases every day. And the test positivity rate can't seem to get below 2%. So we have a lot of community spread. Um, I will admit, I wish the state had delayed some of its reopening and uh, had delayed uh, some of the travel uh, restriction removals another month until we were on top of this community spread. I worry there could be a resurgence here. Um, On the other hand, it's possible we can keep it tamped down like this at a slow and steady because of immunization and we will find out. I just don't know the answer to that. But beware, there's significant community spread in Connecticut still and the test positivity rate I would like to see below 1%. It is not. The hospitalizations in Connecticut have dropped very significantly. It's great news. However, that's leveled off. And we have hundreds of people across the state uh, with COVID hospitalizations still. So I'm hoping this stays low because of the immunization of high-risk people, but we'll find out. Uh, We're going to test this hypothesis, unfortunately. So, But this is where we are. It's better, but it's not where it was back in September of 20, where it was almost zero. The death rate also has continued to decline, which is fantastic news. And it's possible it may stay low because our vulnerable populations in the state have been immunized. You saw previously, I think I showed you last week, around 65% or more of 65 and above and high risk had been immunized in Connecticut. This makes me much more comfortable that should we have a resurgence, we'll probably have a lower death rate than previous with this virus, which is good news. Now, uh, when you look at the United States overall, um, we've had a steep decline, but that decline has leveled off. And you know we're still having 50,000 new cases a day. This is not trivial across the country. And with the presence of more contagious variants and the removal of public health measures across many states and spring break travel... Um, we've seen this before. I've sat here before. We've gone through this before. We are going to have a resurgence because of this. The question is, can we manage it because our vulnerable or immunized or not? And we're going to find out. Because I believe, I, you heard me say it, if I'm wrong, I, I'll be thrilled to be wrong. But we will, in this scenario, we're going to have a resurgence in this country. Now, we still have 50,000 people in the hospital due to SARS-CoV-2 and COVID-associated hospitalizations. It's down enormously. We're almost up to 200,000. Still a lot of people. And again, my hope is as more and more vulnerable get immunized in every state, this will continue to be at a, at a lower level than it was during the previous resurgences. However, this, is the, uh, this was the news last night, you know, spring break in Florida. Completely unprotected. Uh, all of these kids are going to get in an airplane and come home. So, you know that whatever variants circulating in Florida will be reintroduced or introduced wherever these people live, uh, and we're going to continue to have problems. And this is unfortunate. Now, regionally, uh, one of the areas where I worry about particularly where I live, because we have New Yorkers who come up every weekend. New York continues to have a very significant COVID-19 infection problem. They have 4,000 cases a day in the city. Uh, This is a lot. Um, And although the death rate and hospitalizations are down, this is going to generate spread in our region, Fairfield County and elsewhere. So we have to be very vigilant and watching the Connecticut numbers because certain areas very close to us continue to have Widespread community spread with COVID-19, New York City being one of them. The wild cards continue to be these variants and whether vaccine resistant strains will emerge and have an effect on the impact of immunization. We just don't know. So if you look at this, these are official CDC numbers, which you know are wild underestimates. But B117 is the UK variant. The vaccines work okay against it. It's all over the United States. It would probably be the dominant variant here. It is more contagious. The UK feels it's more virulent. But with our vaccination rate going so fast, it's possible that that may not be a big effect on us. I don't know. Now, the B1351 strain is the South African strain. I will show you data, I've showed this to you before. There's a significant reduction in protection by a number of the vaccines, uh, less data with Pfizer and Moderna, but in vitro data showing a marked reduction in neutralizing antibody effect. This strain is in the States, I'll show you a map shortly, and how it's going to influence whether we have a resurgence or whether vulnerable people can get infected even though they're immunized, we just don't know yet. The Brazilian strain appears to be Um, susceptible to vaccine immunity. It seems to be okay, but we don't have very much data yet. We just don't know. And that's in the United States now. So uh, this is a a very serious problem. And one in which I think I I watched the debate last night between Dr. Fauci and one of our congressmen. And the congressman, even though he was a physician, didn't seem to really understand the fundamental issue about this. And, And Dr. Fauci tried to explain it very patiently. So unfortunately because of this we need to maintain our precautions we don't want to spread around vaccine resistant strains and that's why masks and and all of this continue to be important till our community spread is much much lower and again i that that seems to be a difficult concept for some of our politicians to understand the uk strain that's that would be green uh, is in every state uh, and, and actually dominant in California and Florida. So, um, you know, that's going to spread everywhere. It's in Connecticut uh, quite vigorously. You can see we're a darker color. And those, this is just what we know. And these are just random isolates. So, so if we had done aggressive surveillance, my bet would be there's, there's more. So the UK strain is going to dominate in this country shortly. The Brazilian variant is now in multiple states, P1. And we don't know what that's going to do. Um, it is it is uh, a little worrisome because it's been associated with reinfection in some of the provinces in Brazil and people who already had COVID in the initial strain. So um, it would be a bummer if people who thought they were immune because they had COVID started getting sick again from the Brazilian variant. And this is why cautions are important. So the South African variant. We have an announcement coming on. We're going to check on that. Um, There's a a fire alarm going off. We're going to check to see whether this is real, in which case we'll have a shorter talk. I'm going to continue to move ahead. The South African variant is spreading into multiple states. Um, This also, I think, is an extremely serious situation because we know there's reduced efficacy um, from vaccines, particularly the AstraZeneca, which I'll show you some data. So we need to watch the variant spread. The best way to manage this is to reduce the number of cases in the United States and you'll have less spread of the virus overall and less emergence of other resistance. the effectiveness of three feet versus six feet. This I've got, I can't tell you the number of emails I've gotten this. So what happened is that there's one paper, the paper came out last week in Clinical Infectious Disease Journal. And what they did is they looked at all the Massachusetts, all the Massachusetts strains, uh, Massachusetts schools, and um, found that schools that only could do three feet separation of kids from do we, need to, do we need to evacuate or is it? We're evacuating. Okay. Well, this is a first in a year for us. I'm going to finish this slide, okay? And then we're going to be asked to leave the building, unfortunately. So um, uh, we'll try to come back uh, and, and, and see. This was one paper. Schools with three feet, that's all they could do versus schools in Massachusetts with six feet. They found that they had identical spread in the schools. And, and remember, the school, spread in schools is less than the community. You can see the curves are very similar, whether it was three feet or six feet. So the CDC is probably going to come out with new recommendations suggesting that schools that are able, only able to do three feet separation with masks would be adequate as opposed to six feet in masks. And that's where these data come from. My, my bet is that there will be recommendations across schools to do that nationally. Now, unfortunately, I'm gonna need to take a break because we've been asked to evacuate the building. Don't go, sorry. You want me to keep going? Okay. All right, we will do that. So um, I know there'll be questions about this, but I wanted to show you the original data that just came out of why this is all swirling. It's been on the news, on the media. Now, bats, Um, as you know, uh, the original infection, SARS-CoV-2 is thought to have been harbored in a horseshoe bat. Now in the spectrum of experiments that I might not have done, this is a very interesting study. That's a horseshoe bat from China. This is a fascinating study where they went and captured a bunch of bats in a province in China, uh, near Wuhan and then got their urine, oral oral swabs, feces, uh, and then looked for uh, coronaviruses. Unfortunately, they found a lot of coronaviruses. Some of them related to SARS-CoV-2, very close cousins or brothers and sisters, others different than SARS-CoV-2. I can only hope that they had a great containment facility when they did this because, you know, God forbid another one of these viruses gets out. But that said, this shows you that the zoonotic coronaviruses are here. They're not going away and they're in wild animals. And what needs to happen because of these sort of data are the removal of any wild animal markets across the world and and really separate that out because we don't wanna introduce yet other viruses here. So uh, should I keep going? Okay, I apologize for the, the emergency Uh, announcement. Now, how long does immunity last? These are questions that I'm getting a lot, and they're very relevant questions. I was immunized in January. Um, How long does immunity last? So in this study, they looked at long-term persistence of memory cells, memory B cells that make antibody when they're re-exposed to the foreign antigen. And these memory B cells were for neutralizing antibodies for the virus. So it turns out that although titers of the neutralizing antibodies go down over 6 months the memory cells are still there and if you take them out at 6 months and you clone them they'll make lots of neutralizing antibodies so the memory cells are there what we don't know we don't know is if this translates to protection but the memory cells are there even when your titers are down So how long are we protected after immunization? In this study, I guess it's my last slide before we have to evacuate. Um, this, this is Moderna vaccine. And how long were there high titers of neutralizing antibodies after immunization? This is from Emory, Seattle, and Nashville, an NIH study, 34 participants. And it's the data are from a month or so ago, but I wanted to show it again. So, after Moderna, in this study, there were lots of neutralizing antibodies for 119 days after immunization. So in my opinion, although there haven't been official recommendations on this yet, I believe it's going to be around the six-month mark after immunization where we're going to start worrying about reinfection. These are not official opinions yet, uh, but I believe that's what's going to happen. Now we're going to take a break. Don't go away, because I think we'll be back but we're going to need to evacuate the building and then they'll have to allow us back in the building. Don't go away. We should be back shortly. We're back, okay. After a brisk walk outside, and the Hartford Fire Department clearing us. Uh, thank you for your patience. Uh, apologies uh, on that. It, we're this pandemic. You know, you never know what's going to happen. Um, I do want to. So these are data showing after Moderna, how long do you have neutralizing antibody? 119 days. I do want to point you to the bottom of the chart. Elderly have a more rapid fall off in of neutralizing antibody. So. As we develop policy post immunization, these are the sort of data that are going to feed in. I believe the CDC is probably going to fall on six months post immunization as being a safe time, but we'll we'll have to see what their policy is. These are important questions that I'm getting asked. Now, really important data why I'm so worried about the South African strain, the UK vaccine, AstraZeneca, had decreased efficacy for this vaccine, uh, for for this uh, strain. And you can see on the bottom curves there this very rapid fall off. Uh, if the B117 is the UK strain, the B1351 is the South African strain. Uh, neutralizing antibody not very good against the South African strain after this virus. And in fact, in uh, 717 uh, people, they had 23 infections with a placebo. And after vaccination, 19 of 750 got infected, giving you an efficacy rate of 10.4%, which is not acceptable. This vaccine was pulled from South Africa. You can see it is not going to work with the South African strain internationally. And so um, the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccines appear to do much better than this, but we don't know the clinical efficacy in, in a large outbreak yet. So watch this carefully, everyone, important. The Pfizer mRNA vaccine, we have new data, really a field trial in Israel. This just came out in the New England Journal this week. It's almost uniformly the UK strain in Israel right now. They don't have a lot of the South African strain. And what you can see here is the decline in infection with the immunization is remarkable. The, the blue line, particularly under hospitalizations, it pretty much removed COVID hospitalizations from Israel and severe covid The blue line is almost zero. So although it doesn't seem like it's protecting against every possible COVID infection, looking at hospitalizations and severe disease, remarkably effective. So the RNA vaccines are working in the field in a large outbreak in Israel and really getting the pandemic under control in that country. Very good data for us to look at as we really launch uh, this across the United States. Now, good news, this is in vitro. We don't know whether it's going to work and, and, and how what it's going to be like clinically. The good news is the mRNA vaccine, the Pfizer, elicits neutralizing antibodies against the South African variant, but it's lower than what you see against the other variants. So if you look here, you can see the Brazilian strain, it does well. Uh, the uh, other variants across the b 1351 spike protein neutralizing antibodies are decreased. Um, with This is 15 people post-immunization with Pfizer. They took their blood and they did this experiment in vitro. So it looks like there's neutralizing antibody, but it's quite a bit lower. So we'll have to see what that translates to clinically. Um, now, the continued anti-vaccine uh, stuff, is still going. Uh, this is the latest uh, uh, COVID hoax forever um, from the InfoWars website. And this is fascinating. What they've done is they've shown you that, okay, get vaccinated, but it says, if I get vaccinated, can I stop wearing a mask? The government says, no. If I get vaccinated with restaurants, bars, etc., can I go back to normal? No, if I get vaccinated, will I be resistant to COVID? Maybe we don't know. So it goes down this list. Um, Some of it's just completely erroneous and not factual. Other is factual but twisted because not giving the full story of why. And so unfortunately this had 212,000 hits when this came out. On the positive side, uh, some of the media are moving in the right direction. This is from a Fox News primetime interview with former President Trump. It's a great vaccine. It is a safe vaccine. It's something that works. This is really important. Uh, that is a network that has not been saying this. And so again, I think we have some movement in the right direction. So we are on this journey of hope. Uh, lots of bright signs. I'm going to ask you to advance the slide because it's not moving. Thank you. Um, The vaccination effort in the united states is moving ahead robustly more than two million doses a day we've moved that curve up when we get to 70 percent to to late june great news so the projections see us getting to some sort of this is the adult population to herd immunity by this summer connecticut has lower community spread than a few months ago and our immunization we're among the top few states for immunization levels all good news but We have persistent high-level community spread in various parts of the U.S. The booming spring break travel and the spread of variants may yield a new resurgence. We're just going to have to deal with it. And other countries are struggling with immunization, which could cause worldwide spread as new variants emerge. It's going to be in our interest to get vaccine to other countries as fast as we can once we solve our own domestic immunization problem. We absolutely are going to need to do this. Pandemics do not respect national boundaries as we have found out. So um, these are two movies Now I'd forgotten that uh, Ice Cube made a second movie. So the first one was, uh, are we there yet? And uh, and then are we done yet? And I will say no to both. We are not there yet and we are not done yet, but soon. But soon, and his expression, I think mirrors all of our expressions. (laughs) Like, really? The answer is not yet. And we need to roll up our sleeves and get to work and get us to the end of this race. When you're in a marathon, the last mile, you don't stop and say, oh, I'm done with the race. You finish the last mile. We're going to need to do that. Now, uh, we even with the uh, five-minute uh, hike that we had to do outside, we have lots of time. And what I'd like to do is answer some questions from last week that we couldn't get to.
1: And then we're going to open
0: it up to questions. We have we have. Nice 20 minute time to do this. Um, I always feel like we have to rush. We don't have to rush today with this. So I don't know, how many do we have? Uh, How many? 180, okay, so most of you came back. I appreciate that, thank you. So the questions from last week, when will the CDC and Connecticut revise travel ban requirements for fully vaccinated persons? I'm glad you said that because as of today, the state has gotten rid of our travel restrictions and I actually had it on my phone. And so um, they've gotten rid of the travel restrictions for coming back into the state of Connecticut and says, go look at the CDC, and that's what you should do, which is a little confusing. So, what I did is I pulled up with the CDC, the brand new CDC recommendations February. Travel during COVID 19, what you need to know. Travel increases your chance of spread and getting it. If you must travel, uh, get vaccinated. Uh, before you travel, get tested. Wear a mask. Avoid crowds. Stay six feet. Get tested three to five days after your trip and stay home for self-quarantine for a full seven days after travel, even if your test is negative. Follow all state and local recommendations. And they don't really break out separate immunized category yet. So in Connecticut right now, the travel bans or the the testing and quarantine have been removed. And they tell you to go to the CDC website and do that. Can you explain the high rates in the Northeast Massachusetts and Nantucket? Yeah, you know, sure. Uh, As as I drove down 44 um, on the way home last week, every mall was filled with cars. So people are moving around and and out and about, and some are infected, and they're spreading it. It's a very contagious virus. Uh, So the high rates in the Northeast um, in Massachusetts was because Governor Baker has reopened Massachusetts a little early. Restaurants are open, even at reduced capacity, and there's still a lot of community spread, so we're going to have more. Nantucket, you know, it's been uniquely high, and I'm not exactly sure what's going on there. Usually when you have an island, if you can lock down, uh, you you can cool that off. I know people fly in and out of Nantucket from New York and other places like that. It's possible that they're reintroducing it there. I do not know the story in Nantucket other than I don't want to go there because it still has a lot of COVID. Um, what is the science in allowing an open southern border with a Brazilian strain we don't understand as the USA is getting the virus under control with natural and vaccinated immunity won't there be a new surge from allowing COVID into the states from the southern border now I got to tell you the southern border is the least of our problem and airplanes are flying in from you know different countries however and it's not an open border obviously there are gates up and I saw the news last night Um, Our best strategy with our southern neighbors is to give them vaccine as fast as we can. I know uh, the president did that yesterday, actually. They're sending doses to Mexico. The best strategy for our borders are going to be to get vaccine to these countries as fast as we can and get those people immunized. And and that will reduce the chance of disease going back and forth across borders from the south. Um, So, uh, Anne-Marie, we're going to open it up and and, and, uh, to the questions for today.
1: Yes. Hi. Good morning, everyone. And thank you for staying with us um, during our uh, fire drill, literally. Um, So thank you, first, uh, Dr. Schreiber, for addressing the questions related to the southern border. There are three or four that are in the um, questions um, this morning. So thank you for addressing that um, up front. I think starting with um, uh, um, a question related to um, when can vaccinated doctors begin uh, meeting together for lunch and other meetings in the office?
0: Um, You know, I think as I look on that question, uh, I think meeting together for lunch uh, outside of a healthcare facility with only immunized people, um, as, as has been suggested by the CDC, is an opportunity. I'm a little reluctant in the hospital yet to open it up. And the reason is, is our patients are not immunized yet. And so should there be somebody who's got subclinical disease and transmitting, and we don't know about it, you'd hate to spread that around the hospital. So in my opinion, it's a little earlier to allow that to happen in our healthcare facilities. Uh, Now, what we have done at Connecticut Children's this week is we're going to be increasing the number of people in PPEs who can go into the room, and we're going to be um, allowing more people with masks and goggles outside of patient rooms to congregate and discuss patients and do family-centered rounding. So we're moving gradually to a more normal situation. It's certainly my preference that we not open it up yet to shared eating because of the reasons I told you earlier. There's just too much community spread and our patients are unimmunized.
1: Thank you. Um, Can you please talk again about the six foot uh, compared to three foot social distance data again? The fire alarm was a bit distracting when you were going over that. that. Yeah, (laughs) it's
0: really important. So there's one paper Um, And what they did uh, is they looked at all the Massachusetts schools. It's not prospective Uh, and they looked at schools that didn't have the physical ability to do six feet. They only could do three feet, which the state allowed. And then they had a lot of schools that could do six feet when they compared all those schools and they looked at the actual infections that happened within the schools, there was no difference. Um, and remember infections within schools do happen. They're less than what we see in the community. However, they do happen. So they looked at that and they found that the curves were identical. Maybe we can go back to that slide even. Um, give us a second, we'll pull it up for you. And I'll show you the actual original data, which is, again, it's always great to be with you because I can get to show you, the media is all over this, right? It's in every hour, um, but it's, it's great to actually see the data. And then you can begin to make your own opinions uh, based on the data. And that's the uh, scary, I think it's a little earlier. I think it's a little farther up. uh, There it is. So here's the original data. So you can see the blue um, is, oh, three feet. All right, we'll get there. Thank you for bearing with us today. It's been a challenging day. Um, The entire Hartford Fire Department looked like they were here for about 10 minutes, and then they cleared us. So anyway, the curves are, are the same for three and six feet. So the CDC is evaluating this, and I, I know Dr. Fauci's been asked, it's been all over the news, this is what we got. Uh, you know, it's not a lot of data, it's promising, and so in my opinion, it's pretty solid. Uh, so if schools began to say, remember, all the kids had masks, and uh, they were supervised, so it's a, it's a more constrained setting where the teachers can get your mask on, you know, so the kids all had masks between three and six feet. Everyone else was protected. They were hand-washing. They were doing all the things that they do in schools now, which are quite robust. Three feet and six feet didn't make a difference. So those are the data. And, and I think um, I'm pretty comfortable with those data. And if a school district called me and said, we all wear masks, we all wash, but our school's so small, we can only do three feet separation. Are you comfortable with that? I would be able to say based on these data, probably yes. But this is all we have. It's not 10 papers. It's one paper. All right. Next question.
1: The virus, um, you know, and, it, you know, just it, I don't want to ignore it. It's a very important sure. point I mean, to make. I think,
0: you know, I have a very strong opinion about that. I, I, um, I think this is a country that should be celebrating its diversity. It is our strength. People all over the world look to us uh, because our diversity usually works, and it's a, an American strength. It upsets me when I see people who who seem to not get that and are targeting groups. This is a virus. Okay, it came from an animal. It didn't come from a country. And as you've seen as i showed some data these animals carry viruses and it's in our interest all over the world not to mix wild animals and people because there's zoonoses out there we probably haven't even discovered yet so it's a biologic issue it's not a national issue it happens that this particular virus started in an animal in another country but i can assure you there are zoonoses in the united states that we just haven't even figured yet if you mix wild animals and people so it I, I, um, upsets me when I see this sort of tribal behavior that's inappropriate in every way. So I, that's all I can say. I mean, the virus is a virus from an animal, not from a country. Now, um, I think all of us—you uh, know—this is where I, I, I always don't want to get into politics. I, I, again, um, this is a country of diverse people all over the world is a shining example of what can be. We need to live to that. Next question.
1: Thank you very much. Can you comment on testing for COVID-19 in patients who are symptomatic who have already had a documented case within the last 90 days in the context of emerging variants?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think um, we're gonna need to look at that. Uh, if a patient has COVID symptoms, we all know what they are now. And uh, had COVID 89 days ago, we're going to need to retest. Uh, I think we already know that. Uh, obviously, obviously, if it's 90 days, its the policy is to you worry that they're no longer me. But I think even in that 90-day window now, we're going to need to be a little careful, particularly because of some of the variants out there. Um, we all know what to do. Uh, we have testing available, so we'll test.
1: Thank you. Dr. Altman asks, um, we seem to be still getting some conflicting messages about whether fully immunized people need to wear masks.
0: Well, fully immunized people need to wear masks when they're out and about in the community. That's because we don't know yet whether fully immunized people can acquire subclinical infection and transmit it. So when I go to the big Y, I'm wearing a mask, I wash my hands, I use all the precautions as if I were unimmunized because a lot of people are unimmunized still. There will come a time where 70% or more of people are immunized. The likelihood of transmission because nobody has COVID will be very low and masks will go away. We are not in that time yet. When I am in the healthcare facility, I wear a mask and goggles and all the precautions we've always done because, again, we don't know about transmission and our patients are unimmunized and I wouldn't want to have that bounce around the hospital. When I am home around other immunized people, a mask can be dispensed with or low risk people, people who are not going to get serious COVID uh, very unlikely. So then a mask could go away and it contained at family gathering or only immunized gathering at private small gathering. So I'm answering that question. It's something that really puzzled Ron Paul last night. He was very puzzled by this policy. He didn't really seem to understand the science behind it. I wish I could tell everyone and I'll show that Ice Cube movies poster again, it's not done yet. And so we can't take the masks off yet because the vaccines aren't A, 100% and B, are not 100% in preventing transmission. Now the data are promising, I showed you last week, it looks like there's around a 70% reduction in any PCR positivity in, in the RNA vaccines. It's pretty darn good. But that means 30% there's still transmission. It's not zero. So you'd like to have community spread really low and you'd, you'd like to have us, this pandemic under control and then these masks are going to go away for immunized people, but not yet.
1: Thank you. Should healthcare providers get a booster for this summer since we are frontline?
0: I don't have the answer to that, but I show you the data. So for the RNA vaccines, it looks like 119 days plus there's really good neutralizing anybody. I will tell you though, for elderly providers above 65, you know, it's starting to fall off at 119 days. Um, I think, I believe the data are gonna go six months are pretty good post immunization. I don't know what we're gonna do about boosters for providers. I suspect we will be boosting providers at the end of the year. That's my suspicion and my bet will be it may very well be with a one-dose vaccine that covers some of the variants. So, um, and I think the FDA may waive, you know, the requirements for testing all this. So, uh, but I'm not in charge. I'm just giving you my opinion. I think a booster is going to be necessary. I don't know the timing yet. Six months looks pretty reasonable when you look at the vaccine data, but small numbers of people. And remember, The challenge is that the disease is only a year old and the vaccines have only been given to millions of people for a few months. So we're going to have to track this and we'll have much, much better data in the next 90 days about this. And I think recommendations will be coming out when and how we boost.
1: Um, Can you comment on uh, the Israeli study that showed perhaps that immunized um, individuals were not transmitting the virus?
0: Yeah. I, well, again, I, I've shared some of those data with you uh, the last two weeks. So again, it was a reduction of about 70 percent, 80 percent, following PCR. You know, PCRs every couple of weeks. The data are good, but it's not 100 percent prevention of transmission. So again, in a community where you've got tons of community COVID, the likelihood of transmission, even when it's only 70 70 percent effective preventing it, is actually high. So when you have millions and millions of people. So I, I, again, I think it's good, it's promising, and it will help us get this epidemic under control. But it's probably not time to tear your mask off yet based on those data.
1: Thank you. Dr. Rzepski asks if, if there is any evidence that COVID is becoming more prevalent in children.
0: Well, you know, we do know that younger people, the second phase, and again, these were, these were um, some of the data maybe two months ago we talked about, Younger people were getting infected and uh, because, you know, the elderly, the, the nursing homes had been closed off. And so it was a big peak, you know, around age 40, somewhere in there, 20 to 40. So we know that was happening. I don't know the new data looking at, for example, in Connecticut by age, what are the positive tests? And, and what, uh, what we'll do is we'll do that the next couple of weeks. We'll answer that question. I haven't seen those data. So um But yes, we do know it's moved into a younger age group. And I think that's going to be accentuated because you've seen, uh, as we begin to immunize 65 and above and get better coverage in that group nationally, it's by nature going to move the epidemic into the younger age group who are unimmunized. We know that's going to happen.
1: And Dr. Schwab asks um, if there are any updates on the timeline for when vaccines will be available.
0: So um, we know that there's ongoing studies that already have data uh, down to age 12. So um, this started several months ago, and I'm optimistic that there'll be enough data by the fall. Again, I'm, I'm not in charge, but I, I think there'll be enough data by the fall for 12 and above to make some decision about safety and efficacy of the RNA vaccines and probably the J&J vaccine. Now, younger than that just started, and Moderna just started down to age six months, literally last week. And they've enrolled kids and they're immunizing them. And so, but you know, that's end of March. So I can, if that takes six months to get those data, and then you've got analysis and FDA review, um, you're talking 2022 for children below the age of 12, in my opinion.
1: Can mothers who have received the J&J vaccine safely breastfeed? Um, Seems there's very little data on this. And um, thanks. Uh, Great job, as always, from Dr. Ramirez. Oh, thank
0: you. Um, Breastfeeding. So it's a great question. The data suggests no problem with immunized people breastfeeding. And in fact, um, remember, there's no live virus in these vaccines. You're just making antibodies to the spike protein. And in fact, it looks like some of those antibodies will be in the breast milk and help your baby be immune to COVID. So the answer is absolutely. I would breastfeed if you've been immunized. I think it will be good for the baby to breastfeed and get some of those antibodies and uh, and be more immune to COVID.
1: And can you share any more with regards to getting the vaccine while pregnant?
0: So um, their studies are in progress. As you know, they're immunizing pregnant women now who volunteer to do this. We should have good data in about six months. In the meantime, in my opinion, there's no theoretical reason um, to not immunize if you're pregnant. And we know that pregnant women are more likely to end up in the ICU and die from COVID. So the risk benefit, in my opinion, shifts to getting immunized. Now, um, that decision needs to be made with every individual person because we don't have data with their obstetrician and decide whether it makes sense or not for them. Now, in uh, my family, I, again, I always try to do what I do in my family. Our daughter-in-law is pregnant. She will be immunized. She's chosen to wait to the third trimester, which is like in a week. And then she's going to get immunized because she wants to make sure that, A, she doesn't get sick, and, B, the baby actually has some antibodies when born because those antibodies will cross the placenta. There's no evidence that the vaccine crosses the placenta, and so there's no reason that, um, to withhold the vaccine from pregnant women. And I think that's an individual decision. But when people ask me, I say, sure, you should get immunized.
1: So, going back to the uh, three feet versus six feet, um, but specifically within schools and uh, ventilation in the schools, any additional considerations I think there? That's
0: one of the reasons to be cautious with those data. I, I think every school is different. Um, Certainly in a school with poor ventilation um, and and where the infrastructure is not strong, you know, I would suggest six feet will be safer. In a school that's modern and has great ventilation, three feet with masks, as you've seen from the data, would be reasonable. I think every district is going to have to look at these data and make decisions um, in, in collaboration with whatever medical experts are working with those school districts. But this is encouraging that we could loosen up the space restriction just a little bit in schools and do okay with it? So um, it's a great question. I I don't have all the answers. There's just one paper. Um, You know, one of the challenges we have in the current age, I guess it's not a bad challenge, is you have papers that come out and then the media picks them up and they're all over the news and, and their strength is to do that, but it's not their strength to actually look at the data and the way the study was constructed and to understand the weaknesses or the strengths of the data. It's not what they do, it's what we do. So um, there's a lot of pressure now because of the media coverage of this one paper, but I think we need to take a deep breath. And I think uh, it's a very good question. Probably every school needs to consider this based on their infrastructure.
1: Thank you. Do there appear to be any congenital problems of babies born to moms who've had COVID during gestation?
0: It's a great question. So um, as far as we know, this is, this is really the silver lining of this pandemic, if there is one. Um, the fetus is not infected by this virus. Now, there's a case report. There's one from Italy, and I think there's one case report from Asia showing fetal COVID infection. But by and large, uh, we have not been able to show that the fetus gets infected. It's a silver lining. And unlike Zika, babies seem to be born just fine from COVID-positive mothers. So it's a great question. So far, it appears the answer is no. Uh, And it's, it's the wonderful silver lining of this is that the fetus is not infected by this virus.
1: Thank you. So um, I think there's still some question with regards to quarantine for healthcare professionals versus, um, uh, um, let's see, CDC does not differentiate healthcare professionals from others. Uh, The Connecticut Department of Public Health wants us to quarantine healthcare professionals after vaccine
0: actually um, um, what's happened now that that was recently loosened up by dph and i believe the current recommendation is that healthcare providers who are immunized and it's more than two weeks after uh no longer have to uh quarantine before coming back to work i i would urge you to look at our um uh, website because the policy that we've done has just changed on that based on new recommendations from the connecticut dph it's a good question that's changing and it's going to allow immunized healthcare providers to return to work if it's more than two weeks after immunization and they're asymptomatic if they were exposed. So those are, there's some caveats there and they have to self monitor for 14 days but uh, I believe that's just loosened up by Connecticut DPH.
1: Great, thank you. Uh, last question, if you get your first vaccine and then you do uh, come down with COVID, how long do you need to wait before you can get your second dose?
0: It's a great question there are no data on that what i would do is if you get your first dose and you happen to get covid i would wait until you have no symptoms but you still need to be within that you know theoretically in the window of what the vaccine efficacy is so i there's no good answer i would not want to give it to you however if you had any symptoms or ill so i would wait for the acute phase i'd probably wait for 10 days out make sure you're no longer infectious and no longer have symptoms. And then I would do whatever the timing is that's allowable. Now, uh, the CDC for the RNA vaccines, for example, I know there's a couple of weeks you're allowed to push it out before you get re-immune in the second dose. They've been loosening that up. So you could be six weeks. I would actually go, I would do that. I'd probably wait to the tail end of what the CDC says is acceptable to get that second dose. And I would probably do it that.
1: Thank you so much, Dr. Schreiber, and thank you everyone for your wonderful questions this morning. We still had about 10 or 11 questions that um, we could not answer even with our extended time this morning, or I guess um, interrupted time this morning. So we will make sure that those answers um, are, uh, are posted. Um, thank you again, everyone. We will see you Tuesday morning for Grand Rounds. Have a Thanks wonderful have weekend. Bye-bye.